0: It teaches us how to respond to God. It teaches us how to worship God. It teaches us how to live before Him. And as we have seen, it is a rich treasure. And so we're going to consider this evening Psalm 42. It's the beginning of the second book of Psalms. The book is broken into five major parts. And the first book focuses heavily on David. And the second book, as we'll see tonight, moves a little bit more towards a priestly perspective. Uh, according to the religion of the Old Testament and the practice of the Old Testament. So join me in Psalm 42. Hear now the word of God. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down? O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar, deep calls unto deep at the roar of your waterfalls, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, as we take some time now to consider these words. Words written so long ago, but words that speak of a sadness and even desperation that many of us know. Would you help us come with humble and open hearts? Would you help us to hear this song and to know how through Jesus we can join it. Would you lift up our souls and teach us to hope in you? Spirit, would you open our eyes and our ears and change us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to read through the entire book of Psalms with a pen in hand, and mark every place where you find a question. You would use a lot of ink. The Psalms are full of questions. And these questions are often found in what we call lament Psalms. And Psalm 42 is a lament Psalm. And these are are songs where uh, an individual or the community of God's people cries out to God... In the interrogative, they cry out to him with questions, difficult questions. They call out to him Where are you? Why have you forgotten us? How long till you do something, until you say something about our suffering? And this type of speech is dominant in the book of Psalms. The cry of lament, the cry of difficult questions. If you were to read your life with a pen in hand and mark the moments that raise questions, my guess is you would find a connection to this ancient poetry of the moment. You would find moments that cause you to ask, God, where are you? Why have you left me? When will you intervene? When will you speak? When will you act? With that connection in mind, I want us to look to this text, look to this song of lament, and I want us to ask questions about questions, okay? So I want us to ask, what causes our questions, and then what answers them? What causes our questions, and then what answers them? So first of all, what raises these types of questions in our lives, There's a greeting card version of the opening of Psalm 42. And this version pictures the spiritual life, our longing for God as a meadow, with beautiful sunflowers, sun-dappled and a cute fawn, tripping its way towards a gentle brook. And we find the words, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Wrong image. You know those nature shows that follow an animal or a group of animals during a season of deprivation? So uh, we're on the African savanna and the rains have not come as they should. And so we follow and we build this drama around a herd of elephants. And we follow them as they seek place after place and are unable to find the food or the water that they need. And we see them begin to waste away. We see some of the herd even begin to die. That's the image, the opening of Psalm 42. The poet here is wasting away. He is thirsty not like you get thirsty after a workout and can go to the refrigerator and drink a cold cup of water. He is thirsty like being in the brutal desert day after day, unable to find basic necessities of life. And his thirst is caused by loneliness. It is caused by alone. He is distant from God. He is at a distance from the presence of God. So, when will I come and appear before God? God, I am thirsty for You. His thirst is caused by a distance from the presence of God. And if you look at the beginning of the psalm, there's a title on it. And it tells us that this is written by the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah were a special family of priests in ancient Israel. And these priests had the primary responsibility for the worship and liturgy connected to the temple in Jerusalem. And remember, the temple in the Old Testament was where and how God lived with His people. So Psalm 42 is the song of a priest who is far from the temple of God. He is far from the presence of God with his people in Jerusalem. We need to ask why this is such a big deal. Why such dramatic language about being far from the temple? And to answer that question, we need to attend to the images here. The images of thirst and water. And we've seen before in the Psalms how God's presence is imagined as living water, as fresh water, as a river, as a stream. We saw that in Psalm 1. And we saw that there, and the image is, same, is the same here. God, God's presence is imagined as water, Because His presence with His his people is not just hanging out with them. It is not just being friends with them. His presence does something. When He is present with His people in this special and unique way, He creates, He produces, and He sustains life. To come into the presence of God as it is expressed in the temple in the Old Testament was to move towards life as it should be. And so to be far from the temple, to be far from his presence, is to move away from life. It is to move towards death. It is to have a desperate thirst. that is where our questions come from. Our questions happen because we live in a world that is not yet full of the renewing presence of God. We live in a world that is in many ways far from Him, distant from Him. So we live in a world that is not as it should be. The Robsons, my family, if you didn't know this about us, we are not pet people. We're not animal people. Uh, But JJ this year had a teacher that was definitely an animal person. And she had lots of animals in the classroom and it was a great experience for him. But she always wanted the kids to take the animals home with them over the weekend so their families could enjoy them. And we resisted this as long as we could. And we used the excuse of allergies, but honestly, we were just afraid that these creatures would not make it through the weekend. And we resisted as long as we could, but finally we had to give in because J.J. found an animal that Mrs. Goldman guaranteed him that he could not kill. Um, And so we brought home the hermit crabs. And it was great at first. We took them out of the cage, and I was with J.J. in Georgia, and we let them walk around on our floor, and we could hold them, and we were having a great time, and I was beginning to think, maybe I was wrong, maybe we are pet people. Maybe hermit crabs is our thing. <laughs> Until I heard an inhuman shriek come from the mouth of my daughter. Because while supposedly hermit crabs are safe for handling, they still have claws. And they used those claws to stabilize themselves. And so Georgia had the hermit crab in the palm of her hand and she climbed down from the chair and went like this. And so the hermit crab latched on to the flesh of her palm. And she screamed. And of course there, was, there were tears. But what I noticed about her tears is that they started in physical pain. They started as a response to the shock of what she was feeling in her hands. But then they moved to a sadness. Here is this animal that she thought was safe, and she found out it wasn't. Georgia knew a pain that taught her of a world that is not always safe and kind. And every person in this room knows that pain. Every person in this room, to some degree or another, knows by experience that the world is not always safe and kind. Here's what I want you to see from Psalm 42. The questions that that raised when we experience that type of pain, we call out, God, where are you? That question and the questions that go along with it, faith does not take those questions away. It teaches us to ask them. We're scared of grief, aren't we? Especially in the modern evangelical church, we are scared of grief. So we come into a situation of our own or with someone else and we hear the pain and we pull back. We want to offer a quick solution but we want to offer an easy cliche so that we can back away from that pain that tells us of a world that is not always safe and kind. And so we hear someone expressing their sorrow and we say, yeah, that's hard, but but God is good. It'll be okay. The Psalms are not afraid of grief. Scripture is not afraid of grief. God is not afraid of grief. He teaches us to express it. He teaches us to look at these situations of pain and say, Yes, that is hard. That is sad. That is tragic. God, where are you? Have you left us? When will you change? Those questions are biblical. They are an expression of true and deep faith. Remember who is calling out in this psalm. It is not the village atheist. It's not the skeptic. It is a man of a deep faith. A leader of God's people. Calling out, God, where are you? We need to learn to ask those questions, we need to learn to sit with each other in those questions and not move too quickly to fix or to dampen with our cliches. Now, that's not all that is in this song, and that's heavy, and that is difficult. I feel like I'm bringing you down with the heat. <laughs> And that is important, and that is where we must begin, but that is not all that is here. There is more. And so we need to ask another question about questions. We need to ask not only what raises them, but what answers them. In response to his experience of sorrow, the poet here in Psalm 42 mentions two events. One in verse 4 and one in verses 6 to 7. And these events are linked by the word remember. And so in verse 4, the priest here remembers a festival. God in the Old Testament had shaped the calendar of His people so that there were certain times of the year that they would gather in Jerusalem, they would come to His presence at the temple, and they would remember and celebrate the good things that he had done for them. They would remember how he had rescued them, how he had provided and protected them, for them and protected them. And the priest remembers this event, and of course, he would have been a leader in it. He would have walked before the congregation of the people as they came up the hill to the temple, and he remembers the shouts and the songs of this celebration. And then in verses 6 and 7, he tells us about another event that's a little bit harder to understand. We need to realize first the location that he describes here is the headwaters of the River Jordan. So the River Jordan, major geographical feature of this part of the world, and it begins in this mountainous region that he talks about. And so he pictures himself standing there with all of these waterfalls in all of this rushing water and hearing the roar of the water. And what, what's going on there? Why does he talk about a festival and then a hike to a waterfall? Well, remember, these two experiences are linked by the word remember. And so they are, he wants us to connect them. So remember, what is the image? for the living presence of God in this psalm and throughout the psalms. It's fresh water, right? It's a river. So, at the festival, he sees the temple of God, the expression of God's presence with his people, headwaters of the River Jordan, he sees the living water. Those two things are connected. But that's not all. These two events are connected by something else. And it's noise. Right? Verse 4, he comes to the temple, presence of God, and he hears something, right? He hears the shouting and the singing of God's people. Verses 6 and 7, as he stands and views the living water, he hears it roar. And the roaring of the water reminds him of the roaring of worship. It reminds him of the noise of God's people shouting and singing in celebration. And notice what this does. Notice how these experiences change the questions of Psalm 42. So verses 5, 11, and if you kept reading into Psalm 43, verse 5 of Psalm 43 as well. The memory of the presence of God and the sound that goes along with the presence of God. What does that do to the poet? It takes the questions that are directed towards God and it turns and directs them towards self. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Why? Why? for I shall again praise Him. See what's going on here? He hears the water. The roar reminds him of the praise of God's people at the temple. The praise of God's people at the temple tells him, hope in God, you will again be a part of that praise. The noise of worship for him is the noise of expectation. As he hears the waters, and it reminds him of the sounds of worship, he hears not only the past, but the future as well. He hears the sound of God's people worshiping, and it reminds him that as they come in these festivals, they connect not only to what God has done in the past, but they connect to the promises of God, the covenant promises that God has given to His people. That He has said to them, I will be with you. And that is expressed not only in the Exodus when He rescues them from slavery, but it is expressed in an expectation that although there will be times when they are far from God, He will not forsake them. He will pursue them and He will bring them near. He will return them to His life-giving presence. The prophets of the Old Testament pick up that expectation and they say He will not only do that in Jerusalem, but His presence will flow out of Jerusalem and, in, and fill the entire earth. The poet hears the water, he hears the praise, and it teaches him hope. It tells him to look to the future and to know that God will bring him back. He will restore him. He will redeem him. He will renew him. He hears The sound of worship. And in the sound of worship, he hears hope. And that sound is what answers our questions. The music of expectation speaks to those difficult questions that are raised by our pain and our struggle. Not that it takes away all of our riddles. Not that it dismisses all of our pain in the present. But the sound of worship teaches us to have the expectation that God is at work and He will continue that work. And so we remember not only what He has done, but we look in hope to what He will do. And that is why what we are doing right here, and right now, matters. Because when we gather for worship, as God's people, we are prompted towards expectation. We bring with us all of these deep and dark questions. And then the noise of God's people praising Him tells us to ask ourselves why are you cast down? Hope in God. The sound of our singing together is kind of like the alarm on my phone that goes off every Thursday night to tell me to take the trash and the recycling out to the streets so the city of Tallahassee can come and pick it up. It is a sound that moves us. How does that happen? Because most of the time when I hear that alarm, I look at it and stay seated on the couch. (laughs) So how does the sound of our worship lead us to hope? How does it produce hope? Well, it produces hope when we realize that we gather for worship not around me. We gather for worship not around a style, and as important as it is, we gather for worship not around our theology. The sound of worship produces hope because when we gather for worship, we gather around Jesus. New Testament in places like Hebrews 2 and Romans 15 tells us that it is Jesus who leads the congregation of His people in praise. It is Jesus who produces in us the noise of worship. And that noise produces hope because He is the true temple of God. And by giving us the Holy Spirit, He makes us the temple of God. He is the living water. And by giving us the Holy Spirit, He pours out His living water on us. He is the fullness of the presence of God on earth. By giving us the Holy Spirit, He has begun to fill this earth with that life-giving and renewing presence. Worship teaches us to hope because our noise is a response to His presence. Worship teaches us to hope because when we gather, He is with us. God is with us and through us is beginning to fill this place with His renewing with His life-giving presence. we can join the questions of the lament psalms. We can join these difficult questions because Jesus joined them. When He hung on the cross, He took up the lament. He sang the questions of these psalms. He sang from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he answers those questions with an empty tomb. And that empty tomb creates for us the expectation that God will make all things new. Jesus teaches us to grieve. Yes. But because of his resurrection, because of his ongoing presence with us, He teaches us to grieve and hope. Let's pray.